Erev Tov, everybody. Welcome to another edition of our Thursday night Parashat Shavua class. Tonight, she is dedicated to Rufuah Shalema, HaBachu V'Nechmad, Nisim Chaim Binyamin Ben Mesoda, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Yishlachu Rufuah Shalema Bekarov, that he should see, uh, com- regain a complete health and be uh, with everybody, smiling Bezrat Hashem Bekarov with his family and his friends going through difficult times right now. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the master of Yeshuaot, and he will provide Yeshua for this uh, this young man. Today, this week we are studying Parashat Kitisa, a parasha that, what can I say, seems to be a little bit um, filled with uh, the climax, yet it's very anticlimactic at the same time. How Bnei Israel can recite famously Naseh and Ishma, the famous two words of we will do and we will listen, and only moments later to commit one of the most egregious sins that was ever to take place, the sin of the Haita Egel, the golden calf, that Am Yisrael still suffers to this day, where we attempt constantly through our actions and our mitzvot to be metaken, that sin. What happened? What took place? Why did they do it? So much has been written. So much has been discussed and uh, talked about. And is there one correct answer? We don't know. We don't know if there's one correct answer, what went through the minds of B'nai Israel at that time. But there are definitely lessons regarding things that we can learn from the episode. And I want to go through a few ideas that I saw to improve ourselves uh, in the way we behave, the way we act around people, our midot more specifically, and as well as our relationship with our Kadosh Baruch Hu. And as well, tonight at the end, I want to end off with a a few words of Chizuk in the name of the Noam Elimelech, who tonight is his Hilula, of Elimelech of Lezhinsk. So, Bezat Hashem, we should find inspiration tonight from these uh, holy words. One thing that the Parasha teaches us, on a very, very simple level, is that it's always possible to do Teshuvah. You know, you can sin with the Haita Egil, basically consider this a God, and yet Hashem accepts Bnei Israel's Teshuvah very lovingly. The Torah Temet writes that it looked like Bnei Israel lost their Kedushah entirely. What happened? You're on the highest level of holiness Na'asev and Ishma, like we said, you receive the Torah, and then this happens. Chas Shalom, this is what it seems. You would think that there is no cure for such a people. But the Torah reveals to us that yes, indeed, a person can fix their soul. And then even after committing great Averot like this one, there is a Tikkun. After the Averot, the Egel, Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, Ve'ata hanichali, leave me alone. Get away from me. Moshe Ben was praying on behalf of, of the Jewish people to save them. God says, get out of here. I don't want to talk to you. Leave me alone. The Gemara writes in Masech Brachot, if the Pasuk didn't actually write those words that God said to Moshe, leave me alone, we would have never believed it. We could not say that, that God would tell his, his, the leader of his people to leave me alone. But indeed he did. That's what the Pasuk writes. Let me get rid of them. Let me destroy them. Moshe Rabbeinu was grabbing 
to Akados Baruch Hu as if he was grabbing his clothing, Kiviyachol. And Moshe says, I'm not going to let go of you until you forgive them. So that's why Hashem says, Vayomer Hashem salachti kidvarecha. I forgive them as you said, because you are here praying on, on their behalf. When you think about the whole concept about Teshuvah or Teshuvah as a response to such a severe Avera, one can't help but relate a very, very infamous story that is brought down in Masechet Chagiga, where there the Gemara says four people entered the Pardes. The Pardes is the celestial orchard of God. Those four people were Ben Azai, Ben Zoma, Aher, and Rabbi Akiva. Rashi explains that they managed to enter this orchard just simply by reciting God's name with, with certain kavanot, and they saw all these heavenly visions. And only Rabbi Akiva entered the heaven and came out unscathed. Ben Azai looked up and he died instantly. Ben Zoma looked up and became insane. And Aher, the Gemara says, was kotzetz banetiot, cut down trees. Rabbi Akiva left in peace, nothing happened to him. What does it mean kotzetz banetiot? What did Aher cut down trees, knock down trees of the Pardes? The Gemara explains that he became an apikorus. And he became a heretic. And did not believe in Hashem, the Torah, and the mitzvot. This is what happened. Aher saw the Malach Matatron sitting in heaven. And Aher said to himself, how could this be? I've learned that angels don't sit. They can't sit. So how can it be that the Malach is sitting? Could it be, Chas Shalom, that maybe this angel is God himself? Now, the Malach Matatron was granted special permission to sit down and to write the merits of the Jewish nation. When Acher sinned, he had permission to erase all of the Zechuyot of Acher. Matatron, the angel, was also uh, punished. He was given 60 fiery lashes, uh, whatever that means in, in angelic worlds. But the Malachim told him, when you saw Acher, why didn't you stand up? This would have prevented him from sinning. And the, uh, and the Marsha explains that this punishment was to show Acher that Matatron isn't a god, Halila. So this was Acher's moment of kefirah, and his apikorsut. At which point, a bat kol, a heavenly voice, emanated from heaven and said, Shuvu banim shovavim, do teshuvah, wild children, chutz me'acher. Except for Acher. Acher, you can never do Teshuvah, heaven says. Not for you. Acher decided, well, if I can't do Teshuvah, I'm just going to do Averot. If I can't go into Olam Abba, why not enjoy this world? And the reason why he was called Acher, someone else, that's what Acher means, someone else, because he became someone else. He was an entirely different person. Before that, he was a Tana. He was a Tana of Elisha ben Abuya. But now, he became a sinner. Rabbi Meir was Elisha ben Abuya's prime student, Acher student. And he learned Torah from Acher, even after he left the path of Judaism. 
The Gemara explains that while most people can't learn from a sinner, Rabbi Meir knew how to separate the good and the bad from a person, and that's why he was able to learn from Acher. Sometimes people would see Acher ride his horse on Shabbat, and Rabbi Meir was running alongside him to learn Torah from Acher. Rabbi Meir would often tell Acher to do Teshuvah, but Acher always replied, there's no hope. There's no hope for me. That's what the Bat Kol said. That's what the heavenly voice said. Shuvu banim shovavim. Chutz me'acher. Acher can never do teshuvah. Once Acher was riding his horse near the Kodesh HaKodashim on Yom Kippur that fell out on Shabbat. Yet again, he hears a Bat Kol. Shuvu banim shovavim. Chutz me'acher. Again, Acher can never do teshuvah. And this confirmed to him that he was hopeless. And he continued his sinful ways. The Marasha explains in this Gemara that Acher should not have listened to the Batko. Why? Nothing can prevent a person from doing Teshuvah. Even after you heard from the Batko and from the Kodesh HaKodashim that you can't do Teshuvah, you should have ignored the message. You should serve Hashem regardless. Hashem would have accepted him because Teshuvah is always an option. It's written in the name of the Hosemi Lublin that when Acher heard that he can't do Teshuvah, he should have said, okay, that's fine. It's good that I won't go to Olam Abba because now I can serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu Lishma. Now I can serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu truly for His purpose. Not for any reward. Not even for eternal reward. I'm going to do it just because He wants me to. If Acher had said that, all of his sins would have been forgiven. He would have gone to Olam Abba as well. An indication that Acher was able to do Teshuvah was that Rabbi Meir would tell him, Chazor Becha, repent, do Teshuvah. Rabbi Meir knew that the Bat Kol's words were discouraging to Acher. Of course he knew that. But he, nevertheless, he still knew that Teshuvah was an option. Our rabbis tell us, Kol ma she'omer lecha ba'al ha'bayit, aseh. Anything that a ba'al ha'bayit, an owner, a house, a host tells you to do, you should do. Chutz mitzeh. Except when he tells you to leave the house. When he tells you to leave the house, don't listen. The Shlach Kadosh quotes from his father that this means that a person should listen to everything the Balabite of the world tells him. It's referring to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He must obey all of God's dictates and commands. Except when he tells you tzeh. When God says leave you can't serve me anymore. Get out of here. We don't listen. We don't have to listen. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu grabbed the cloak of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and said, I'm not leaving. I'm not stopping to pray. And that's how Acher should have reacted even after he heard the Batko. Many people feel they can't do the Teshuvah. They say, I sinned too much. Look at my life. I was such a bad teenager. I was even worse in my 20s. I never really cared. I disrespected rabbis constantly in my life. I made fun of them. I speak Lashonara all the time. They think Hashem abandoned them. It's not true. You have the opportunity. Not only that, the Zohar writes and talks about severe Averot. And the Zohar writes, it's for certain Averot, it's impossible to do Teshuvah. And when a person reads statements like this, it's very hard to understand. It can be very discouraging to read statements like this. But it's always important to realize that it's still an option. And the holy books write that it's not to be taken literally what the Zohar writes because a person could repent. What does the Rambam write in Hilchot Teshuvah? The Rambam writes 
Shuvah Yisrael ad Hashem Elohecha, quotes a pasuk from Hosea, repent Yisrael up to Hashem, meaning a Jew can actually reach the level of the Shekhinah. Look at his words. Emesh hayazeh sanui lefnei hamakom, meshukat umruhak umtuav. Yesterday he was hated by God. He was disgusted by God. He was an abomination. He was distant. Now he does Teshuvah. Vehayom, today, hu ahuv venechmad, karov veyedid. He's beloved. He's loved. He's a close friend of God. Unbelievable, this Rambam. How can, it's astonishing if you think about it. How Teshuvah can change a person in a day from being totally in the pits in the eyes of God, an abomination, a toeva, to being beloved. How many people go through such difficulties with family members, sometimes their own children. There was once a rabbi who had difficulty with one of his sons. His son was irreligious. It was very difficult for him to accept that his son went off the path of Yadut. And he hardly ever spoke about him. His distress was extremely great. But he once said to his students, if my son came to the Bet Midrash, my son came to the Bet Knesset right now, and he would tell me that he wants to live like a Jew. And he wants to keep the Torah and mitzvot. I would love him immensely. Even if I'm angry, even if I'm upset with him now, in a single moment everything can turn around. That's why Bnei Israel are compared to oil. We spoke about this in last Shabbat's derasha. Banecha kishtile zetim. The nature of oil is that it first drops low and then it floats. You ever pour oil into a glass of water? First the oil goes low, below the level of the water, and then shoots upwards. If you have, That's what it is. Because the Jew, the Jew's ability to do teshuvah, even if he falls to very, very low levels, he can do teshuvah and rise up again. Even if he's katit lamaor, a word we expounded last week. Katit, squashed by many sins, he's lamaor. In the end, it's for shining brightly when he does Teshuvah. When we read about people's attachments to Avodah Zarah, whether in Chumash or in Navi, it deals with it in, in great detail. We wonder how intelligent people could be interested in such, such a thing. Worshipping idols made of silver and gold, cheta egel, golden calf, bowing down to a golden calf. What's happening? Ele Elohecha Yisrael. What's what's going through their minds? And the answer is because we don't really have a Yetzir Hara anymore for Abu Dazara. It's hard for us to understand the temptations. We don't have an inclination to worship idols. The Gemara Masechet Yoma states that in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, the rabbis prayed and they said, Oi, Oi Lanu, Oi this Yetzir Hara, referring to the Yetzirah of Avodah Zarah, this, this idol worship, this inclination to worship idols, destroyed our temple. It killed all the Sadiqim. It sent the Jews into the Galut. And the Yetzirah is dancing around us. And they prayed to God and they said, You gave us this Yetzirah so that we can earn reward. We don't want the Yetzirah. We don't want the reward. Get rid of it. We can't take it. The Gemara says a note <clears throat> fell from Shamayim. And it had Hashem's seal and signature, Emet, Chotamo Emet. And this meant that God agreed that the Yetzirah isn't good for us. So they fasted for three days and for three nights. And the Yetzirah, 
for Avodah Zarah, the Gemara relates, came out roaring out of the Kodesh HaKodashim, appearing like a lion, out of fire. And the Navi said to Bnei Israel, this is the Yetzir Arav Avodah Zarah, it came out. They grabbed the fire, they grabbed the Yetzir Arah, and from that moment on, we no longer have a Yetzir Arah to worship idols for Avodah Zarah. And that's why when we read the stories of Yerovam ben Nevat, the first king of Israel, and, uh, and, and Achav, and all these kings that, uh, Menashe, which we're going to talk about, that, that idol worship after idol worship and got the whole nation to follow idols and believe in them. We read about them and we don't understand why people would have such interest. How does that work? So Gemara tells us that Rav Ashi said to his students, Tomorrow we're going to be studying about our friends. A very uh, cryptic term. <clears throat> and he was referring to Menashe. Menashe and other kings who lost their portion in Olam Abba because the extreme idol worship that they practiced and they made others practice. <clears throat> that night, Menashe came to Rav Ashi in a dream. And he told him, You called me your friend. Let's see if we're really friends in Torah. And Menashe asked Rav Ashi a question. On what side of the bread does one make a beracha? What he was what he was asking was, which side of the bread do you cut first? What is the more important part of the bread? And Rav Ashi responded, I don't know. I'm not sure what the answer is. So Menashe says, if you don't know the answer to this simple matter, why do you call me your friend? I am far greater in Torah than you. So Avashi said, tell me the answer, and tomorrow I'm going to teach it to the students in your name. And Menashe replied that the beracha is said on the part of the bread that is baked the best. That's where you are botzea. You break the bread from the area that is baked the best. So Ravashi, and indeed that's halacha, by the way. Ravashi asked, if you are so wise, why did you worship Avodah Zarah? So Menashe famously said, Had you lived in my generation, you would pick up the hems of your coat and run after me to worship Abu Dazara, together with me. And the next day, Rav Ashi went back to Yeshiva and said, Students, today we're going to be discussing our teachers. Meaning we're not talking about our friends. He referred to Menashe as a teacher now. The early generations had a strong desire for Avodah Zarah, which we, Baruch Hashem, don't have anymore. And therefore, we can't understand what it means to have an urge to bow down. Nevertheless, although we don't have a Yetzirah for Avodah Zarah, some Averot are like Avodah Zarah. And we must carefully avoid them. When we read about the Chet HaEgel, it's a good time to think about these Averot that are like Avodah Zarah and seek to cleanse ourselves from them. One example is anger, chaos. The Zohar writes, Kol oved Whoever becomes angry, it's as if he worshipped Avodah Zarah. The Ben Ishchai told over once a very popular parable, how a king and his prime minister <clears throat> would often dress up like regular people and walk around the kingdom to hear what the people were saying. And once the king said, let's go to the hospital. The prime minister didn't want to go there. Because we want to go to the hospital? What's in the hospital? 
What can you hear in the hospital that's important for your kingdom? But the king insisted, we're going to go to the hospital. They go to the hospital, they find a guy who's in a lot of pain, great agony. What happened to you? The guy said, I was bitten by a wild dog. The king said, is there no cure? There is a cure. You have to take the liver of the dog that bit me while the dog is still alive. And the liver can cure the illness. So the king told the guy, why are you so distressed? You could be healed. This is good news. The man said, I was so angry at the dog that bit me that I threw a stone at its head and I killed it. And now I don't have a cure anymore. And that's why I'm distressed. And they left the hospital. As they were leaving, the prime minister looks at the king and says, I told you this was Bitul Zeman. This was a total waste of time. We didn't hear anything smart. We didn't learn about people's opinions regarding your policies, regarding your rules. We should have just went somewhere else. The king disagreed and looked at the prime minister. He said, I think it was a very good idea to come to this hospital. I learned a very critical lesson. I learned that I need to control my anger. If I act impulsively, I will regret it. Maybe not now, but definitely later. Just like that sick man regretted that he killed the dog that bit him. And from now on, I will never execute anyone in the kingdom before waiting a night to think it over first. There's a fantastic story brought down the Sefer Hasidim about a father who told his son the following, You honored me very much in my lifetime. And I request that you honor me after I die as well. And this is what I ask from you. When you have reason to become angry, wait until the next day. Don't become angry immediately. I'm going to ask you to wait. The son said, Abba, I promise I'm not going to get angry right away. I'm going to wait till the next day if I ever feel an urge of anger. And this is what he took upon himself, Kibud Av, even after his father passed away. The son got married. And shortly after that, he, he left his house, his wife, and traveled to a distant land to earn Parnasa for his family. Often this happened in the past. People would travel for many years to go make a Parnassah to come back. And when he finally returned, he was about to knock on the door of his home and he heard the voice of a man. Why was there a man in the house? A man in the house, in my house, conversing with my wife? He drew his sword, ready to kill his wife and the intruder. But then he remembered. He remembered what his father said. Don't act on your anger that night before sleeping. One night to think it over. So he returned the, the sword back. And then he heard his wife say to the man, Your father left many years ago and didn't know that I was pregnant with you. If he knew that he, that he has a grown son ready for marriage, he would certainly come home to marry you off. And from the outside of the door, the husband announced, Wife, I'm here. Open the door. I've returned. And he told him, I bless Hashem, Baruch Hashem, for helping me overcome my anger. And I bless my father for teaching me to sleep one night before acting on my anger. Otherwise, I would have killed my wife and I would have killed my son. And everyone was extremely happy and they celebrated the wedding. How important it is to adhere to this advice, to push off anger as much as you can. How many family feuds, not the game show, how many family fights develop when people react immediately when they get angry. And after when there's a, a breach, 
It's hard to rectify that. You can't fix it anymore. We can save ourselves so much by just thinking and stopping for a moment and saying, is it worth it right now? So many unnecessary troubles and arguments by training ourselves to push off getting angry. I saw a beautiful little Divre Torah. Rashi in Sefer Bereshit teaches us a famous uh, grammatical rule in Chumash that the word Mitzrayma, Mitzrayma means Le Mitzrayim. Whenever there's a hey at the end of the name of a place, it really means to that place. Mitzrayma, Le Mitzrayim. Harana, Le Haran, to Haran. Instead of placing the Lamid at the beginning of the word, place the hey at the end of the word. So, I read a question. Why does the Torah prefer to place the hey at the end of the word rather than the Lamed at the beginning of the word. What's the purpose of it? If there would be fewer letters, then it makes sense, because we know that the Torah likes to write things in a concise form. But either way, the word Mitzrayimah and Le Mitzrayim have the same amount of letters. So what is gained by placing the He at the end of the word? So the gain is what comes later. The He comes at the end of the word, which is preferable to the Lamed at the beginning of the word, because whatever can be said later should be said later. The he has a softer sound than the lamid. That hints to us, the illusion, the lesson is, when you push off speaking for later, it will be expressed in softer tones. Because you thought about it. But if you talk immediately, if your action is rash and, and instantly, you will speak harshly. You want to send that email, you're fuming. Kick out the computer, sent you regret it after 20 minutes and then the repercussions the emails back the emails got forwarded and then you ask yourself the next thing you're like i can't believe i did that i can't believe i did that was it necessary why did i just wait maybe i want to just talk to the guy where do we see this we just read ahasveros megillat ester ahasveros got angry at vashti the king became angry. His wrath burned within him. At Esther's party, Achashverosh became angry again. This time at Haman. The king stood up in his wrath. Achashverosh was one to just get angry all the time, instantly. And when he got angry at Vashti, and later Haman, he killed them both. Had he allowed himself some time to just think things over, he would have probably reacted differently. The whole Purim of story would have been different. It may have been worse for us. For sure it would have been worse for us. It's a miracle that this took place. The Megillah says, Vayomer Harbona, Harbona said, Behold the gallows that Haman prepared for Mordechai, who said, good for the king. You know what the Vilna Gaon says on this Pasuk? He says that Achashverosh misunderstood what Harbona said. He thought that Harbona said, Behold the gallows that Haman made for Mordechai, and Haman said the gallows are better for the king. He was trying to say that the gallows were meant for the king. And Achashverosh thought that's what he meant. So he became angry, angry with Haman. And because of that misunderstanding, Achashverosh said, Telu alav, you're going to hang me? I want to hang you first. And that was the result of acting in anger. The result of acting impulsively, without taking the time to think things clearly. The Chachamim, in past generations, they used to do special things 
whatever worked for them in order to remove themselves from anger. Some, some Hasidim, they had a box and they said, when I feel like I want to get angry, I open the lid and I pretend to put the anger in the box. And then I come back two hours later and I open the lid again to reassess whether I want to take the anger out or not. And most of the time it's no. Other approaches people will do. Some people, some of the rabbis at Sadiqim should take water whenever they get angry and put the water in their mouth and keep it in their mouth. Why? This way they can't talk. You can't talk if you have water in your mouth. It's impossible. You ever try? Sound like a fool. So you put water in their mouth so that they don't talk. Some say they would, they, some would have an anger suit. A suit of black, so I don't know, a, a, a different color suit that they would put on when they felt that they need to become angry. By the time they finished putting on the suit, they realize, ah, maybe I don't have to become angry. This was all tactics. It was thinking proactively in order to stop the anger in its tracks. Everyone gets angry. There's always reasons to be angry. No one's listening to a perfectly happy life all the time. Things happen. It makes us upset. But the more you delay it, the more you'll realize, okay, maybe, maybe it's not so bad after all. That's anger. Another midah that we need to fix that is comparable to Avodah Zarah is that of atzvut, of being sad. The rabbis tell us that it was only the men that worshipped the Cheta Egil, not the women. How did the women succeed in passing the test? So Chachamim explained the reason why they didn't do the Chayta Egel is because the women danced at Kriyat Yamsuf. The Pasuk says, Vatikach Miriam achot Aaron atof peyada. Miriam Aaron's sister took the drum in her hand. Vatetzena kol anashim achareha betupim imcholot. And all the women went out after with drums and dances. And later... When there was dancing around the Egel, Basuk writes, Vayarit Egel umcholot. Moshe Rabbeinu saw the Egel and the dancing. The dancing of the men. The women who danced earlier didn't participate. Their joy protected them from worshipping Abu Dazara. The men, they sang as Yashir Moshe, but they didn't dance. Their joy was actually less than the women, and therefore they didn't pass the test of the Egel. The Levim also didn't sin with the Egel because the Levim serve Hashem through music in the Beit HaMikdash. And when there's music, there's joy. And when there's joy, you don't fall into the trap of the Avodah Zarah, because Avodah Zarah is associated with being sad. It's a great Yesod to know and to believe that we have to distance ourselves as much as we can from Atzvut and Mara, from sadness as much as possible. Because the Zohar writes that very much Atzvut is like Avodah Zarah. The proof that it is so is that when a person is sad, what happens? He has thoughts of Avodah Zarah. He thinks, he starts doubting God. He has to be distant from Atzvut. The Tanya writes this, that when a person is sad, what does he demonstrate? He demonstrates that his life isn't perfect. And that he lacks all the good. And he still needs and needs and needs. But when you start thinking of that, it's it's Kfirah. It's heresy, chas v'shalom, because we have to believe that Hashem gives us everything that we want. And if I'm sad, that's because I feel that God's not giving me everything that what I want. So the Chachamim, the Mekubalim, warn against Atzvut immensely, especially now, when we are in the month of Adar. Mishenichnas Adar marbim besimcha. 
בשמחה is gematria shana, gematria of a year. It's not just adar that we have to be besimcha. Being joyous during this time is a segula to bring happiness throughout the rest of the year as well, and that's what we need to focus on. Not just kas, but also our asvut, and having faith in HaKadosh Baruch Hu and what He gives us is everything that we need, and never to feel moments of sadness as difficult as it may be sometimes. I want to conclude, like I said at the beginning, with a little piece from the Noam Elimelech, whose tonight is his Hilula Kaf Aleph Adar. The Noam Elimelech was one of the, uh, not the student of the Baal Shem Tov, it was second, third generation from the Baal Shem Tov, but no question one of the great, great Hasidic masters of history. I was privileged to be at his kever three years ago when I went to Poland on a uh, life-changing Holocaust um, trip to, to see the Holocaust sites. We went to visit his kever and we prayed by his kever. Um, not too long ago, I, was, I, I also considered myself lucky to give a shiur from his sefer, the Noam Elimelech of Elimelech of Lezhinsk. And there's so many miracles that are said about him. And uh, I felt that being that uh, the Hilula falls on tonight, I want to share the last piece of Torah that he has on Parashat Kitisa. Normally his, his yard site falls out on Parashat Vayakel. And uh, this year is, everything is a bit, bit off. And Vayakel is actually the only parasha he never wrote about. Coincidence? Probably not. But anyways, here is the last piece he writes on Parashat Kitisa. And I want to read it and translate it because there's Kedusha when you read it in the words. And the Pasuk, he quotes the Pasuk, Vahi beredet Moshe mehar Sinai. When Moshe Rabbeinu was coming down from Har Sinai, Ushne luchot ha'edut beyad Moshe, the two tablets of testimony were in his hands, berito minahar, when he came down. Moshe lo yada ki karan or pana bedaberoito. And Moshe did not know that he had this glow, this sign on his face when they were speaking with him. This is what he writes. Yevo'ar gamken alpi devarenu, we can explain the following. She'adam harotze lavo ela kedusha uprishud lavodato itbarach that when a man wants to come to the ultimate kedusha, the holiness and the prishud, that separation from all materialism for the sake of God, he must lower himself, he must humble himself as much as he can. Ultimate humility. This will cause him to receive holiness upon himself. Vezeu, this is the meaning when this pasuk says, Beredet Moshe min hahar. When Moshe comes down, came down from the mountain, as he comes down from the mountain. And he quotes the Gemara Masechet Megillah, quoting Pasuk Teilim, Harim Gavnunim hahar chamad Elohim, that Har Sinai is compared to Harim Gavnunim, Shenatan HaKadosh Baruch Hu al Har Sinai, why did God give the Torah in Har Sinai? Because the mountain is the lowest of all mountains. It is the shortest mountain. Moshe would humble himself. He was the most humble of all men. 
and he was more humble than Har Sinai. He saw Har Sinai and he, and he took it upon himself to lower himself more. Lachen, that is why Zacha Ushne Luchot Beyado. He was Zochet to carry the two Luchot in his hand. What do the Luchot represent? The Luchot was, was the ultimate holiness. It was the ultimate Kedusha. It was the Torah right there in his hands. It was because he was Beredet Minahar. He went down more than the mountain. He received, he was Zochet to those Luchot. Look at the Chidush he writes now. This is why the Pasuk doubles the expression coming down from the mountain. He explains his question. It seems to be extra. The Pasuk began already telling you that Moshe was coming down from the mountain. I already told you he was coming down from the mountain. So why does it repeat again that the luchot were in his hand that he, when he was coming down? We already know he was coming down. The Torah is hinting to us. That he was zochet to this kedusha and this Torah because of his humility. That he and he, that the humility that he brought upon himself, vezeu beridito, berito is bet ridito. The bet represents baavur ridito because of his lowering. Min hahar hayamuchna beyoter, and what happens as a result when you are able to reach that level of ultimate kedusha because you lower yourself. Moshe didn't even realize that he had a light shining from his face. That's how great humility is. That you can reach a level that of, of what you don't know about yourself to the point that you don't even know that there's a light coming out. Because when a tzaddik speaks with someone else Words of holiness, ve'irat Hashem, and fear of God. Azai bailo itlavut gadol belibo. There's this energy that is created. There's a fire inside of him that is raging. But it's a it's a great fire. It's a holy fire. It's a spiritual fire. Ve'yair pana beor gadol, and it and it reddens his face. His face becomes like like a flame. It's shining to anyone that looks at him. And all this, Moshe had no idea. If he even had this inside of him, because he lowered himself so much. This is when, when they were speaking with him. When they spoke to him, they were able to see him. He had no idea. Yet another midah that we can work on and a lesson for the Chet Egel. We got to work on our anger. We got to work on our atzvut, our sadness. We got to work on our humility. All these things are so important in reaching and attaining new levels of Kedushah. And a person has to always think, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how angry I want to become, or how sad I feel, or I think I should feel, there's always a chance to do better. No matter how bad you went through in life, no matter how much sin you did, Teshuvah is always an option. Even Akher had the option. 
He chose, unfortunately, not to go through it, but he had the option. Bezat Hashem, some lessons as we read the parasha this week of the sin of all sins, the sin that we still suffer with today. We have to do our part to be metaken that sin. You feel the urge to get anger, you push it off. I'm not getting angry now. I'm going to wait one more day. I'm going to wait the next morning. I'm going to feel a lot better. I feel sad. I feel sad. That's because you don't have the emunah. You got you to gotta relight that emunah inside of you and say, no, whatever God give me, I can handle. And I'm going to get through it. And you got to humble yourself. And through that, you become a shining light. You become a light. A light amongst the nations. That's who we are. That's what our goal is. That's what our purpose is. To inspire. To make people better. So that Bezrat Hashem, each one does their part to be metaken this sin. So that we will be zocheh to the Mashiach. Amen. Wishing everybody a wonderful night. All the best. Thank <laughs> you.